Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Have your Bibles this morning. Open them with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. We are continuing our study this morning in the book of Jonah. And as we are kind of walking through this, our goal is to look at it kind of in a new light and kind of think about it in ways perhaps we haven't thought about it, maybe see some things that we haven't seen before. Now, you all are familiar with the story of Jonah, right? Jonah and the big fish. You all heard of that? Well, sometimes in being so familiar with the story, we can overlook the significance because there's a lot more in the book of Jonah than just Jonah and the big fish. And so I want us to focus on that this morning. Um, But as we do, let's bow together for a word of prayer and ask that God would speak to our hearts this morning. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, I pray that you would help us in the service this morning to be able to sit aside um, maybe the distractions that are competing for our attention this morning. God, I know there's so many things going on in people's lives, and God, we need you to work. Um, We need you to intervene. God, I pray that you would help us to see the truth of your word this morning, that you would help us to be able to apply it to our individual lives, and that in so doing, God, that you would change us to be more like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, Jonah chapter 2. Before we dive in, we have a group with us this morning. They're not in this service. They were in the early service, but from the University of South Florida with the Navigators, about 35. I think you may have seen some of their stuff in some of your classrooms this morning, Um, but thank you for working around their stuff. Anytime we can be a blessing to another group, we want to try and do that. And so they are here through Wednesday ministering throughout the Charleston area doing service projects. And so if you see them in and around today, this evening, throughout the week, you'll know who they are and what's going on. But it's a great opportunity for us to be able to kind of partner with and encourage other people in the service that they are doing. Jonah chapter 2. I want to do a little bit of review from what we talked about last week, because in a historical narrative such as Jonah, everything builds on everything that's already taken place. And so we've got to kind of build their understanding. And so if you weren't here last week, let me kind of give you an overview of what we talked about. Each week of this series, we have one key word. The key word last week was rebellion. Rebellion. Because what we really see taking place in the book of Jonah is just that. It's rebellion. If you remember, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, God clearly tells Jonah what to do, and that's to go. He tells him where to go, and that is to Nineveh. He tells him what to do when he gets there, and that is to preach. And he's told why he is to do that, because the wickedness in Nineveh is great. We showed a map last week. I don't have it this week, but if you were here, you'll remember that where God was calling Jonah to go was 250 miles to the east, where Jonah actually did try to go and running from God was 2,500 miles to the west. So it's not as though Jonah just kind of got off track a little bit. He was deliberately and purposely rebelling and running from God. And the reason why we talk about that and the reason why I want to highlight that is that it is very possible for you and I this morning to, in our own hearts and in our own ways and in certain areas of our life, deliberately and purposely run from God. And it's not just that we get off track. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we get off track and we're not really sure what to do, but we're just off a little bit. But then sometimes we just deliberately and purposely run in the opposite direction of what we know it is that God wants us to do. 
A few of the kind of the highlights from the message last week, a few of the main points that we talked about, was that one, Jonah would rather die in rebellion than live in submission. If you remember when they come and they are, Jonah says, throw me overboard, and the sailors grab Jonah and they throw him overboard into the sea, he had no idea that there would be a fish there coming to swallow him. In his mind, he was saying, let me die. It is better to die, Jonah was thinking, it is better to die in rebellion than submit to God. And you may not quite be at that place yet, but it is possible for us to say, I would rather live in my rebellion and deal with the consequences of my rebellion than submit to what God is calling me to do. So maybe when you think of Jonah, you think about him being thrown over, you think about the fish swallowing him, understand that he was basically just saying, let me die. We also saw last week another important point, and that's that Jonah's hatred of people led to his spiritual rebellion. We asked the question, why would Jonah not want to go to Nineveh and preach? And when you kind of look at the history of it, Nineveh had oppressed Israel. They had attacked Israel. They had been ruthless with Israel. And so Jonah looked at these people and said, they do not deserve the forgiveness of God. They deserve the wrath of God. Instead of seeing them repent and turn to God, Jonah says, I would rather them just be wiped off the face of the earth. His hatred for this people and their culture and their religion and their race caused him to run from God. And if we're not careful, hatred in our hearts towards a person or a people can cause the exact same result. Hatred in your heart and my heart can cause us to run from God. Another important point that we saw last week is that Jonah's desire to run or Jonah's rebellion against the commands of God led him to running from the presence of God. If you look at verse three of chapter one, you will see that when he is rebelling against God twice in that verse, he says, I want to get away from God's presence. I want to run from God's presence. You say, how is it possible for for a prophet of God? Or for us, a Christian who goes to church each and every week, how is it possible for us to get to the place where we say, I want to run from God's presence? How is it possible for you and I to get to the place where we are running, not just from what God wants us to do, but from God himself? And what leads to that is our rebellion against what we know God wants us to do. Now this week we're picking up really at the last verse of chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way through the first verse of chapter 3. But I want us to see several truths. You have your bulletin on the back of that. You'll find an outline. And let me encourage you to follow along and fill in the blanks as we go through. Here's your first point this morning. Actually, before we do that, let me read starting at the end of chapter one and into chapter two. Now, the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Let's pause there just for a second. Here's your first point. God's pursuit is relentless. God's pursuit is relentless. One of the things we saw last week is that God pursues those who follow him. Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. He knew God's word. He proclaimed God's word to whoever God told him to proclaim it to up until this point where he refused to go to Nineveh. But in his rebellion, in chapter 1, verse 4, we see that God kind of balled up a storm and hurled this storm at Jonah. It's very deliberate. It's worded in a way that this is not just coincidence. Jonah could not get on the ship and say, you know what, this just so happened to be a storm. It is very clear that God caused the storm. And then again in chapter 2, verse 1, we see, excuse me, chapter the last verse of chapter 1, we see that God caused this fish to, to swallow Jonah. This is God's pursuit. God was pursuing Jonah. You say, what does that matter? 
Why do we need to know that God was in pursuit? Or why do we need to know that God's pursuit is rentless? Well, we need to be understanding of the fact that when you and I are living in rebellion, when you and I live in a way we are running from God and purposefully rebelling against what we know God wants us to do, God will pursue us. And his pursuit is not out of hatred and his pursuit is not out of anger. God's pursuit of you is driven and it is motivated by his love and his mercy and his grace. It is an attempt to get our attention and draw us back to him. See, when God was looking at Jonah, he did not just see someone who was running from him. When he looked at Jonah, he saw someone that he loved. He said, I will pursue When you and I are living in rebellion to God, we need to understand God will pursue us and his pursuit is relentless, which means that there's nowhere that you can run that you have outrun the grace of God. There is you you, you cannot stoop so low that God cannot reach down and touch you. There is nothing so severe that can happen to you or can be committed by you that it cannot be covered by the grace of God. God's pursuit is relentless. But number two, the second thing that we have to understand is that many times in our lives, rebellion is relentless. Rebellion can be relentless. Here's what I find interesting. Jonah is in the belly of this fish for how long? Three days and three nights. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, as soon as he repents, you see that the fish spits him out. Why did it take him three days and three nights? Hard-headed? Are any of you hard-headed? we got one honest one. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> yeah, we're hard-headed. I mean, as I, th- I, I went and did a little research, I'm, I, I wanted to know what it would have been like to be in the belly of a fish. You ever wondered that? What would it be like to be in the belly of a fish? Well, here's what I found. I'm going to spare you some of the details. It was between 108 and 115 degrees. You can imagine the smell Three days. Why did Jonah not immediately fall on his knees in the belly of that fish and say, you know what, this is nasty. I get, I, I get what you're trying to do, God. You've got my attention. I repent. See, many times in our ongoing rebellion, we, be, we can become calloused to what is taking place around us. You and I, in our hard-headedness, can be so stubborn and so committed to our rebellion against God that we fail to see that what is happening around us is actually caused by God in an attempt to get our attention. See, the reason why it took Jonah three days and three nights to finally get to the place where he was ready to submit to God, repent, and agree to do what God had called him to do was because he had been so committed to this rebellion that it didn't matter what was happening around him. The storm didn't phase him. The fear of death didn't phase him. Being swallowed by a fish in a nasty environment did not phase him initially. And you and I, in our rebellion, we can be so stubborn in our rebellion to what we know God wants us to do. We can be so stubborn in our rebellion in a specific area of our life to where God may be throwing storms into our life and allowing things to happen to get our attention and to draw us back to him and to to kind of shake us and say, wake up and out of his love and mercy, draw us back into fellowship with him. But we can see be so dead set in our rebellion against God that we fail to understand that what is happening around us is caused by God. See, one of the things we saw last week is the same God who calms the storm in the life of the submissive can create the storm in the life of the rebellious. See, some things that may be happening in our lives today may be the cause of our rebellion. 
And it may be the fact that God is intentionally hurling these things into your life to get your attention, to get you to wake up so that you can see that he is pursuing. But your rebellion and my rebellion can be relentless. We cannot just rebel against God's initial pursuit. We can be in rebellion against God's ongoing pursuit. We, we can live in a way for days and months and years to where it says, I do not care what God wants me to do. And I don't care what God tries to put into my life to get my attention. I'm not doing it. You ever had a toddler? Those early early years where they just re- they have those moments where they refuse to do whatever. I mean, it may be eating green beans. I mean, I kind of refuse that too, but I'm just kidding. Or it may be, it may be something else that taller you say, okay, don't do this. Or you say, do this. What do they do? The opposite. Or, I mean, mine do this. They get it from Dana. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They, they kind of cross their arms, and what do they say? I'm not doing it. No. And we say, how could they act like that? When well, our own lives, in our own lives, we can respond the exact same way to God. And it doesn't matter what discipline. I mean, we early on, I remember, I'm, I better not tell any specific stories, but I remember early on with both of our boys that there would be times where there would be ongoing discipline to try to break that initial rebellion and didn't matter what you did. I mean, it's stubborn. Y'all ever witness? Y'all ever? That, are we the only ones? All right, thank you. Whew. But the exact same way, we can respond to God just like that. And it doesn't matter what God causes to come into our life, what God causes to happen to us. We say no. Our rebellion is relentless. So there's a challenge now. God's pursuit is relentless and my rebellion is relentless. Who's going to give? I mean, who's going to give? I mean, am I finally going to come to the place where I submit, or key word this way, am I going to get to the place where I submit to the pursuit of God? Or am I going to live and eventually die in my rebellion to God's pursuit? I want to move on to the third point this morning. So God's pursuit is relentless. Our rebellion can be relentless. But then number three, what is the correct response? Number three, submission is the correct response to God's pursuit. Submission is the correct response to God's pursuit. Now, there's several subpoints underneath this you see on your outline that help us really understand what, what, what Jonah was feeling, what Jonah was recognizing, what Jonah re- realized and remembered. Now, here's why this is important. Listen to me real, real carefully. If you are in a place of rebellion this morning, you can be tricked to believing lies that are not true. There are things that you can believe in your rebellion about God that is not true of God. So what we see in Jonah is a true and accurate understanding of who God is and how God is responding to him. So if you're living in rebellion, whether it's lifelong rebellion or just rebellion in a specific area of your life, we have to understand these things, these things that Jonah understood. Here's number one, or here's A. Jonah realized that God had not given up on him. In verse 1 as well as verse 6, we see Jonah refer to God as my God or my Lord. Verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside of the fish. At the end of verse 6, Jonah says, but you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. 
You say, what, what, why does this matter? Jonah knew that in his rebellion, and even though he was in the belly of a fish, enduring consequences that God had thrown his direction, he knew that God had not forgotten about him. It's a reminder that God does not turn our back on us. When we rebel against God, when we run from God, when we are running away from God's pursuit, it is not God that gives up. It is it is not God that turns his back on you. Our rebellion is us turning our back on God. So in your life, when you are living in rebellion, you have to remember the truth that with, if and when you turn back to God, God is there with open arms. God has not given up on you. God has not forgotten about you. You may be ignoring God, but God has not stopped loving you. You may be running from God's presence, but God is still desiring fellowship with you. You may be saying, I don't care what God wants, but God still cares and loves you deeply. God has not given up on you. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how long your rebellion has been taking place, no matter what you have done, what you have thought, what you have said, God is in pursuit and he has not given up on you, nor will he ever give up on you. Jonah realized this. He says, he is still my God. He has not cast me away. I still belong to him. And when you finally come to the place in your life where you're willing to surrender to God, keep in mind that God will be there with open arms. B, Jonah knew that God heard his prayer. Sometimes in our rebellion, we can get to the place where we think, well, even if I cry out to God, God's not going to hear me. God's not going to answer my prayer. God's not going to respond to me. But look at verse 2. Jonah 2, verse 2. I called to the Lord in my distress, notice, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. Here's the reminder this morning. In your rebellion, if you will simply turn and call out to God, pray to God, he will hear and he will answer. Don't believe the lie that says, well, you know what, I've been in rebellion so long and I haven't talked to God in so long and I've gone so far and I've done all these things that God doesn't approve of. If I just, if I call out to God, he's not going to hear me. Wrong. Wrong. It doesn't matter what you have done. When you cry out to God, he will hear and he will answer. Don't believe the lie that says there's no point in me turning back to God. Don't believe the lie that says he won't answer me if I cry out to him. Don't believe the lie that says he's not listening and he doesn't care. Wrong. He cares. And when you cry out to him and when you call out to him, he will hear and he will answer. C. Jonah acknowledged that God was in control. Jonah acknowledged that God was in control. You know, initially, I think Jonah thought he was going to win. He said, you know what? You just throw me overboard. I'll lose my life. And in his own way, that was going to be victory for Jonah. God said, not so fast. Not so fast. See, in the hurling of the storm in chapter 1, verse 4, to sending the big fish at the end of chapter 1, to everything taking place, Jonah finally gets to the place where he acknowledges God You are in control of it all. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what he says. You threw me into the depths. Now, who actually threw Jonah overboard? The sailors. 
So Jonah is looking back at this situation now and he's acknowledging, God, you are actually in control. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the sea and the current overcame me. Notice what it says. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. He's saying, God, you are in control. From the storm coming my way, to me being thrown overboard, to the lot falling on him, to the fish coming, to the waves sweeping over him, the fish swallowing him. Jonah says, God, ultimately, I understand now that you're in control. See, and in your life, when we are living in rebellion, in my life, when I'm living in rebellion to God, and storms come into our life, and circumstances come into our life, you have to understand, we must grasp the fact that it is not coincidence. God can throw storms our way to get our attention, motivated by his love and his mercy and his compassion. He says, I love you and I want you back. And I'm sending this storm into your life so that you can see how far you have fallen. I mean, don't you think that if you were in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, you'd kind of get the hint? But three days and three nights, he is there living in his rebellion. But at the end of this, when he's kind of coming to this moment of submission, coming to this moment of surrender, he finally gets to the place and he says, God, the storm was not coincidence. It was sent by you. And God, me being thrown overboard, even though that was my attempt to win, God, ultimately you were still in control. And God, this fish coming and swallowing me was you. You sent that fish. God, that was you working. Why does it matter if we acknowledge that God is in control? See, when we are running from God, we can be so callous to the storms around us that we can just think it's coincidence and it's just part of life and nothing goes my way and I can't get a break. When in reality, because of our rebellion, those things happening in our lives may be the pursuit of God. And if we fail to acknowledge that ultimately God is in control, we will fail to see that God is pursuing See, if we only say that everything good happens to me is from God and everything bad that happens is just happenstance, well, understand sometimes in our rebellion, God can allow bad things to come into our life so that we can see God still cares. I mean, how else can we honestly stand and say that all things work together for good to them who love him? How can we honestly stand and say all things if if we reject the fact that God can use bad things? You ever gone through a bad period in your life and ultimately you have to acknowledge, you know what, that was for the best. Sickness can focus our attention back on God. Tragedy can bring families together. The storms of life that come into our life when we're living in rebellion can be something that God uses to draw us to himself and for him to, in a way, for him to say, I still love you. Jonah acknowledged that God was in control. D. Jonah anticipated God's forgiveness. Look at verse 6. It says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. But you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Verse 9, end of the verse says, salvation is from the Lord. Currently he is still in the belly of the fish, but he is already anticipating God's forgiveness and God's deliverance. He has such confidence in who God is and the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, that he is confident that God will save, God will forgive, God will deliver. And regardless of whether God was going to deliver Jonah physically or from the belly of the fish or whether he was going to forgive him spiritually, God ultimately knew God's going to forgive. Let me give you E. 
Jonah promised to sacrifice and obey. Look at verse 9. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Pause there. Of a voice of thanksgiving. I mean, God had just sent a storm and God had caused him to be thrown into the sea and God had caused a well to a big fish to swallow him. And he's in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Why is he responding with thanksgiving? I mean, how does he have an attitude of thanksgiving after everything that is taking place? Well, it's because he understood that it was God's love that motivated those things. And it was God's care and his mercy and his grace. He responds and said, God, you have got my attention. You delivered. You have you forgiven. You have saved. God, I Respond with thanksgiving. Notice what he says. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Now, I want you to look at verse 9. There's two words that appear side by side twice in this verse. And we may be tempted to skim over them, but I think they're very important. They're found in verse 9. And it's the words, I will. I will. Notice what he says. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. If you're in a habit of marking or underlining in your Bible, I would circle those two I wills because those two I wills communicate to us that there is a personal decision involved because you could put in there. I won't, I won't sacrifice and I won't obey. Jonah says, I will sacrifice and I will obey what he is saying. And what we can learn from this is that there is a personal decision See, where you are this morning and your relationship with God is on you. If you are not as close to God as you used to be, it is not God who moved. If you, if you are rebelling against God, that's because that is the decision you have made. Those words, I will, indicate that there is a personal responsibility and a personal decision that has to be made. In verse 9, twice, Jonah makes a personal decision. I will sacrifice, I will obey. See, the only way you can come back from your period of rebellion in your life, or this aspect of rebellion in your life, whatever it may be, is for you to make a personal decision that things are going to change. God may be allowing things in your life to get your attention, but you have to get to the place where you say, I will. See, rebellion, continued rebellion is us saying, I won't. Submission to God is us saying, I will. So whether you're experiencing or in the midst of this lifelong rebellion against God, the way for that to end is for you to stand up this morning, acknowledge that God is in control, acknowledge that God is pursuing, and for, and for you to say, I will. But what about just some little area in our life? You know, most Christians I talk to, it's not necessarily that they have this Jonah-like rebellion where they're running physically 2,500 miles from what God wants them to do. What I've found is that most Christians will submit in some areas, but in some areas they want to hold on to. See, the response for you to submit to God in that one area of your life is still for you to stand up and say, I will sacrifice to God an act of worship. I will worship God and I will obey God. Jonah's saying, I will do this. And what some of you need to do this morning is to get to the place where you say, I will. I will. I will submit. I will obey. This last point this morning, I think it's probably the most encouraging point we could ever have in any message at any time. I want you to see 
the fact that God is a God of second chances. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's a wonderful mental picture right there, isn't it? But notice verse 3. Do not miss this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does it say? A second time. Verse 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the exact same command back in chapter 1. Notice verse 1 again of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I want you to understand something very clearly this morning. God is a God of second chances. And you can never get to the place where God is going to look at you and say, I'm done. I mean, God doesn't give up on you. And if you simply submit to God and obey God and commit to follow God, then he is going to look at you and he's going to say, welcome home. Now let's get to work. There's a plan that God has for you. God wants to use your life. He wants you to be used. See, God's plan in chapter from the very beginning of the book of Jonah was for Jonah to be used by God. And what we're going to see on week three and week four of this series is that God does amazing things through the life of Jonah. Entire nation comes to salvation because of him. But if we simply sit back and think, well, I've been in rebellion against God. God must be through with me. God cannot use me now. I've done too much. I've had too much sin. It's gone too long. Then you are believing this lie of Satan that says God cannot use your life. And that is a lie. See, there there is nothing you can. Let me word it a different way. No matter what you have in your past, whether it's things that have happened to you or things that you have done, God's grace will forgive. You cannot outrun the grace of God. doesn't matter what you have done, what sin is in your past, what abuse or mistreatment you have endured, no matter what is taking place to you. See, sometimes we can look at those events and those events cause us to rebel against God. But in that rebellion, we can think, well, if I repent, I know God will forgive me, but... He can't use me. And I've talked with people who have been in rebellion and they confess that rebellion and they submit to God. But simply what they do next is they kind of come to the sideline and they sit down and say, you know what? I have sinned too much. God cannot use me now. I know he's forgiven me. I know I have this fellowship with him, but it's too late. And they're failing to understand that God is a God of second chances. And I think most of us could attest to the fact that he's not just a God of second chances. But he's a God of third and fourth and fifth. How how far? We we could go all day, couldn't we? Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by the fact that God has not given up on you. Be encouraged by the fact that God is looking at you and his plan is still to use you to further his kingdom. Be encouraged by the fact that God sees your rebellion, but his grace covers your rebellion. And if you will turn to him and you will submit to him, that his forgiveness will flow over you and his grace will embrace you and his love will surround you and it will lift you up. And in that moment, when you submit to God and you commit to obey him, he looks at you and says, I'm not done. I want to use you and I want to work through you and I want other people to be impacted by you. So if you're here this morning and you've been living in a state of rebellion, you're finally coming to the place where you understand that you need to submit to who God is and what God wants for your life. Submit, yes, but then follow that up by saying, God, here am I. Use me. Because he will. 
He will. If you think about David and Bathsheba. And the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. Psalm 51 is a psalm where David is kind of confessing this. And in this passage of scripture, he, in Psalm 51, you can read it some other time, he responds by saying, God, cleanse me. It's this, it's this request, this petition for forgiveness. But then he follows that up and says, God, through your forgiveness, I will be able to teach transgressors your ways. You know what he's saying? Even the worst things that we could possibly do can be something in the hand of God that he uses in a fantastic way. So you may be tempted to think that God's done, but God specializes in using broken people. You may be, think, you may be thinking that you've fallen too far, but God specializes in raising people up and using them. You may be thinking that there is too much sin in your past, too much abuse in your past, too much whatever in your past. But God specializes in taking broken people from broken past and raising them up and using them in a way that only he can. God is a God of second chances. And I, for one, this morning am thankful for that. Are you? In closing, there's one of two responses that maybe you need to have this morning. Some of you last week may have realized and God may have showed you some areas in your life where you are living in rebellion this morning. And throughout this week, maybe he's shown you things and kind of brought things into your attention. And you say, you know what, that's the area that I'm rebelling against God. You know what the correct response is? Submission. Submission. You may be looking at all the storms that have been coming into your life, and like Jonah, you've been immune to it, you've been callous to it, but this morning you realize that's the pursuit of God, and you want to submit to him this morning. Will you? There's others of you who you've already come to that place. You've already submitted to God. You've already confessed your sin. You've embraced the forgiveness of God. But in your mind, you've been sitting on the sideline saying, God can't use me because I've lived in rebellion. God can't use me because of my past. God can't use me because of what I've done wrong. So some of you may need to submit. But others of you, need, you need to stand up. And you need to say, God, I'm available. God, I know I'm broken and I know I failed you and I know I've lived in rebellion against you and I know I've not been all that I need to be. But God, in your grace, you've lifted me up and in your grace, you have forgiven and in your grace, you still demonstrate love. So God, I know you're a God of second chances. God, if you will, simply use me and you need to make yourself available. So some of you need to submit and some of you may need to make yourself available for God to use. Stop sitting on the sideline. Let God take your brokenness and your broken life and your broken past. Let him put that together and use you to proclaim his glory. However it is that you need to respond this morning, I want to encourage you to do so. We stand with me. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then we're going to sing the song, I Surrender All, which is a perfect song to go along with this message this morning. I want to lead us in a word of prayer, and then if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be standing down front. Pastor Jason will be down here as well, but if you'd like to pray where you are, do business with God. If you need to submit, submit. And if you need to stand up and say, God, use me, then stand up and say, God, use me.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together,